verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 192 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, September 25th, 2014, and available for download or streaming on Monday, September 29th, 2014, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. All right, Cookie, let's jump right in. What do we have in store this week? Captains, this week we trek out Geek Nation tours with an old friend of Priority One Podcast, Head Geek, Terrace Cassidy. In STO news, there's lots to cover from new cues and their difficulty revamps, special XP and upgrade events, a review of Tier 6 ships including the new Guardian Cruiser, and a discussion of the new specialization trees available to Captains. And again, this week, Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, joins us for a continued discussion on the item upgrade system and the new specialization trees coming to Star Trek Online with Delta Rising. And later, we'll open hailing frequencies to see what's incoming from you, our listeners. And don't forget that Priority One Podcast is more than just a podcast. Terry Herman reviews the history of a Klingon. In History of the Future, The Tragic Irony of Ambassador Bavat. Check out this blog and more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, but before we move on with the show, we want to remind you that Priority One Podcast will be visiting Cryptic Studios and Perfect World Entertainment during the week of October 5th. Oh yes, Cookie, Jace, and I will be spending a few days at Cryptic Studios and Perfect World in Northern California to cover the release of Delta Rising. So we'll have plenty of news to share for weeks after being there. Now, don't forget to follow us on our social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast and on Twitter at STO Priority One. Sometime this week, we'll be reaching out to the community for questions to ask during our visit at Cryptic Studios and Perfect World. All right, Captains, are you ready to plan the best geeky vacation adventure in 2015? Then let's check out Geek Nation Tours with Terrace Cassidy. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. All right, Captains, I'm standing here with a very old friend of ours, Terrence, the owner of Geek Nation Tours. Hello, hello. Now, you uh, recently just did another tour yep. from uh, from California to Star Trek Las Vegas. Yep. Uh, tell us all about it. Remind our listeners what it's all about, uh, and uh, tell us about the experience this year. Sure. Well, it's been incredible, actually. It's been an unbelievable thing. We uh, landed in L.A., like you say, and uh, we picked up Larry Nemechek, and we go from uh, Star Trek filming site to st- Star Trek filming site, uh, from Bronson Canyon to uh, Franklin Canyon to uh, Tillman Water Processing Plant, which is the uh, Starfleet Academy. Oh, we see cool. JJ's Academy also. Uh, uh, everybody thinks that one's in, in San Francisco, but the laser comes down, and that's all blocked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, CGI, the... the uh, the bay, 
we then go to Vasquez Rocks and Bobby Clark, the guy that was in the Gorn suit, he comes right. out and visits us and talks about you're standing right on the spot where Captain Kirk uh, fought the Gorn. Does he uh, does he throw a boulder at anybody? He doesn't. But you know what? I've got him. Ha- I've got him holding this. This is oh, kind of the Kirk cool. cannon. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, the Kirk cannon. That's Did right. Yeah. That? Oh, that the is Kirk epic. Cannon. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's <laughs> fun. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been awesome. Uh, Yesterday we went out to the Valley of Fire and we saw where Captain Kirk met his end. Mm-hmm. We found the bridge and it was great. You know, we walked it up to the bridge and it was it seemed like just this mundane little bridge over a small creek. And everybody went, Oh yeah, there's the bridge. And then everybody you could see a big click. Everyone click. Oh my god, it's the, the bridge. bridge. And it just came alive and it was a thing of beauty. And and everybody of course on the tour is big Star Trek fans, so everybody talks to each other and and just great conversations and I had everybody arguing about JJ within about 15 minutes of tour start. So yeah, it was great. It's, now, was great. what? Talk to us about the the uh, people who have joined you for this uh, sure. for this adventure all around the world. I yep. presume all around the world. We have had Australians. We've had people from the United States, of course, Canada, um, the UK. Yeah, it's been. It's been great. That's exciting. Stuff. That's exciting. I mean, memories of a lot for a lifetime. Yeah, I think so. I yeah, think. Yeah. Well, actually, a couple of people said, you know, this is the best thing I've done ever. Wow, that's yeah. Fantastic. So I was. That's it's, yeah, it's nice for me to hear. Yeah, that. yeah, definitely, definitely, sure. absolutely. Yeah. So tell us about the premise of Geek Nation tours okay. a little bit. Let's remind our listeners sure. what it's about. What separates okay. it from any other travel agency? Okay, good. What we do is we uh, we go to a geeky destination, very different uh, genres very specific genres and uh, from comic conventions to wargaming conventions to even do battlefields so we keep on adding things that we're going to do a zombie tour quite quickly here and uh, people come around it's different because you know on a regular tour if you go to a castle tour for instance you get people that are kind of interested in castles but they really want to see England and then see castles right but this one is very specific. You see things about the genre that you love, and people around you all love the same genre. So really, people have instant communication, instant friendships, international friendships that, that, like, that last for a lifetime. And, so. and I was going to ask, you also have uh, activities for the spouses that may not yeah. be so ge- geeky, right? That's right, non-geek spouse. <laughs> we have a parallel universes uh, section to the tour, and, and Christine, my wife, said you got to have this in there and they're like okay and it's been really successful so if if uh, a non-geek spouse male or female doesn't want to geek out with you or just wants to geek out a little bit yeah. but then wants to do her own thing or her, his own thing we can find a baseball game or shopping or a museum and we take care of them too that's fantastic yeah that's fantastic so how can uh listeners that might be interested in taking one of these uh, types of sure. excursions and adventures find out more about sure. geek nation tours okay you go to geeknationtours.com that's pretty straightforward it is easy or uh, email me at headgeek at geeknationtours.com. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, Terrence, thank you again. As always, thank it's you. a pleasure speaking with you. Always awesome. And we'll see you again. Yep. When's the next, uh, when's uh, the next convention? Oh, 2016. Oh, the 50th? It is the 50th. Nice, and we nice. have huge ideas on what we're going to do, Wonderful. so keep Wonderful. an eye on it. We're going to go, I think we're going to go to San Francisco, L.A., and wow, Vegas. Wow, wow, wow. And we'll fly great. in between there. Wow. It's going to be, it'll be really awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, we look forward to that. Thank you so much, Terrence. Awesome. Thank you. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, folks. We have a lot to cover this week in Star Trek Online news. 
we are really ramping up the excitement on the road to Delta Rising. Right now we have two, yes, count them, two bonus events live right now on Holodeck. First of all is the bonus XP event, which started September 18th and will continue until 10 a.m. Pacific time, October 14th, with skill points and expertise, both 100%, aka double normal amounts. This will be available for all content that rewards skill points and expertise. So you can bank up expertise for playing around with the new bridge officer abilities that are going to be live in Delta Rising, and you can level up those alts that you never got to 50, because the road to 60 is long and fraught with perils. So, but again, this only this only helps if A, you have had alts that you have not leveled up to 50, and B, just to rank up skill points for, for your buffs. But it doesn't, it's, there's no bank for 50 to 60. Right. If you're already 50th, your skill points are converted into expertise. Right. But in other words, it doesn't it doesn't help you get from 50 to 60 when Delta Rising comes out. No, it not, will not give you a head start. It just will get you as ready as you can be. Like, I have a couple of friends who have been dragging their feet about getting in the game. They just created characters, and they're taking advantage of the double XP for the next couple of weeks until Delta Rising. That makes sense. For players that might have left the game for a while and are now coming back or maybe like you mm -hmm. said people that you're convincing to to try the game this gives them an opportunity to level very quickly from 1 to 50 and be ready so to speak right because they may not be able to get all the the gear from the rep systems and whatnot but at least they'll be 50. exactly you know what's funny this all has had the opposite effect on me i don't want to make any new characters i don't, I don't even want the alt that i do have now i only want the one <laughs> because there's going to be so much to do on that one i don't i don't even want to think about creating another one and doing it all over again yeah i know what you mean i had just leveled up my klingon character if you recall finally up to 40th because i really wanted that a free the free gorn science ship during the last giveaway but now I'm not sure how quickly I will use it because I'm going to be really focused on getting my main character leveled and geared up. But, you know, all in good time. Now, speaking of getting a jump start, however, tech upgrades are now live on Holodeck. You can now begin the process of upgrading your existing gear currently to a maximum of Mark 13 Ultra Rare with Mark 14 and Epic, aka Gold Quality, coming with Delta Rising. As part of this event, research and development packs on the C-Store now include upgrade accelerator items to improve your upgrade result. Each pack now includes four medium or large tech or research accelerators randomly chosen. And then we're going to have three R&D weekend giveaways next weekend from 10 a.m. Pacific Thursday, October 2nd until the same time Monday, October 6th my birthday by the way you can log in and speak to your faction contact these faction contacts are on earth space dock lieutenant shelby in the personal equipment vendor station on chronos commander hugor next to the dueling ring and on new romulus lieutenant tirar in the west section of the command center near the commodity broker i was going to ask now this is only once for the weekend and it's not a daily go in and get Three, three, three. Right. However, it is per character. The other thing I noticed was um, when I logged in, I wanted to see, because it's already launched, and people, crafters who are 15 in their respective skills, whatever it may be, or like some people we know have everything now at 15, um, 
they are already selling superior tech upgrades in the exchange. And I remember when I logged in this morning, shortly after launch, they were selling for, they were a little over a million. And then towards the evening, they dipped as low as 499,000. So I'm interested to see how the exchange levels out as crafters continue to sell these superior tech upgrades. Well, you're also seeing some effect from, I didn't mention this, but this weekend is a R&D weekend as well. It'll be over by the time the show goes live. But so people are getting uh, additional bonus R&D materials from almost everything they do right now. So that may temporarily lower the price because materials will be very plentiful as a result of this weekend event. The other thing I wanted to mention regarding upgrading items are is around set bonuses. I know that there's been some question floating around the community about how set bonuses behave as you level up items. And according to a post by uh, Jeremy Randall, Bordicus, the, the set bonus does not change. So you can have a Mark 12 very rare and a Mark 13 ultra rare of its secondary item and still benefit from a three or two piece bonus set um, because at this time they're not scaling set bonuses with the upgrade exactly unlike the old days where if you had mark 10 omega and then you got one piece of mark 11 you would break up your set bonus you won't have that problem now as you say work your gemidar set up from mark 12 to 13 to 14 which i will be doing and i'm very happy about so Delta Rising is a little over two weeks away, and there is an overwhelming amount of content coming with the new expansion. Not only system improvements to the game, but endgame mission content. In two recent blogs, we're introduced to two new queued events, Bug Hunt and Battle for Corfez. In Bug Hunt, you take boots to the ground and reenact Starship Troopers. You are tasked with taking out an insectoid threat to the Delta and Alpha Quadrants. According to the blog, you'll need a team member with skills in explosives and others with skills in close quarter combat. The objective? Squash the Spawn Mother. More details about the story behind the queue will be available to players after completing the featured episode titled Dragon's Deceit. The next queued event is the Battle of Corfez, a space mission where you and your team is tasked to protect the inhabitants of Corfez 4. The interesting thing about this mission is that it plays through four parts. The first and last part are always the same, but the second and third parts are randomly selected from a pool of different challenges, and I think this is great for replayability. Uh, it's, it's always going to keep us on our toes, right? You think that you've got the, you know, I'm sure you'll memorize the tactic from the pools of challenges, but no two times, it, there's a possibility that no two times will ever play the same. Or infrequently the same, right? Because I'm sure it's not an infinite pool of challenges. That kind of reminds me of what they did with the um, Undine PVEs. Oh, right? yeah. I was sort of thinking about yeah. that, where it can be a different planet. It could be Ferenginar mm -hmm. or what have you. Now, there is one recurring theme from these new blogs, and it's that players are going to want to have the most elite gear when attempting the missions on elite mode. So... Sure, you can play through them in normal and advanced as you level up to 60, but according to the warnings, don't try running these missions on regular old Mark 12s. The, speaking of the difference between normal, advanced, and elite, Cookie, we have a queue revamp going on, huh? 
Yes, Matt Miller, a content designer for Star Trek Online, discusses the balance of power behind the adjustments being made to the PVEQs. And since they are increasing the level cap to 60, naturally they're revamping the cute events as well. The normal mode will not change significantly. The level requirement will be 50, and that's the level all enemies will be fighting at as well. So if you're level 60 and you decide to play an event in normal mode, you will be temporarily reduced to 50 to compensate. You will still have all your powers and abilities, though. That doesn't change, and the rewards are about the same. You receive marks and a normal R&D reward package. The advanced cues are going to be very similar to the elite difficulty that we are currently familiar with, except the enemies will be fighting at level 60, so if you're below that, your level will be increased to 60 to compensate, and your damage will be scaled up. Also, the objectives that were optional in normal mode are required in advanced mode. If you don't meet these objectives, you fail the mission. You still get a little something for trying, but the rewards are reduced. Not only that, but they are adding an optional objective on top of the required objective, which could range from a timed assignment or a specific goal to accomplish. These optionals are not a requirement, but do offer a bonus reward if completed. Either way, if you complete an advanced queue, you get a higher amount of marks, an advanced R&D package, which has a chance of having very rare materials included, and dilithium. Last but not least is Elite. You need to be level 60 to attempt this. And not every event will have an elite version, but there will be at least one for every type of mark. This mode had a warning disclaimer on the description, so I'm thinking it's probably going to be pretty hardcore. They said it was, and I quote, far and away the hardest content we have put into Star Trek Online, unquote. So you have to already be very familiar with the mission. They don't recommend starting out your first try with the mission on Elite Mode. The enemies will hit harder, and they are harder to kill. You will also need a pretty good gear, and I hate to say it, but Tier 6 ships would probably be the best thing to use. It also might not be a good idea to pug, at least not at first. These cues will take precise coordination, and they leave very little room for error. All optionals in the previous modes will now be required, so if you fail one, you fail the entire mission. If all five team members die at the same time, you fail the mission. They also throw in another optional if you want to try to get a bonus reward, but even if you don't, the rewards for completing this are pretty good. You get even more marks, an elite R&D reward package, which has a very good chance of getting rare materials, more dilithium, and a material tech reward you can use for creating a superior upgrade. There will also be a change to your difficulty slider. In advanced or elite difficulties, your enemies will be a lot harder to take down and will require more skill and planning. I remember one time I accidentally changed my difficulty and for like a month I was playing with it on either advanced or elite, I, I don't remember, oh, but no. probably advanced. And everything was so hard, and I was still doing story missions, so this was quite a while ago when I first started playing. I was so confused. Why, why did everything take so much longer, and I died a lot more often, and then I realized what was going on, and I finally changed it back to normal. But I still play at normal. What level do you guys play at? Usually normal. I occasionally switch to advanced or elite to try some stuff out. I mean... You can't really parse stuff in story missions, but I'll go kick it up a notch and do like a Taldewa sector patrol. Just see how it feels. Elite baby, yeah. I only <laughs> rock hard. 
<laughs> There's just some things that hit so hard in Elite that if you're not ready for it, you're going to get walloped. Uh, I mean, it's it's still not hard. You just have to pay more attention. I remember doing a foundry mission that I had never done before, and I just kept dying and dying. And I thought, oh, man, this foundry mission is so hard. It wasn't Overture because it was barely any combat. In the oh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say ground is brutal on the on the higher. Yeah, it really is. Ground that was where really I really brutal. felt it, yeah, the most. Uh, space is not as bad. But you know why ground is can be brutal, is because very few of us invest so much in developing our ground play versus our space play. Mm -hmm. So like skill points are are very low in most cases for uh, ground players. It's just the nature of the beast. We all love our space combat. Well, you do get better loot drops and more XP, so I can see why it's beneficial to increase your difficulty level. Not to mention it keeps you on your toes and probably makes you a better player. But with this new difficulty slider, you'll have a better chance at getting even higher loot drops if you choose to increase your difficulty level. Well, if there's any indication from any of the blogs that have been coming out, uh, this this elite is mode is going to be ludicrous. Speaking of those hardened queues, you're going to need some new Tier 6 ships, probably, to get through them. And a new series of them have been announced that, according to the blog, are more traditional than the previously announced Intel ships, with only a single hybrid Intel bridge officer seat. These new ships will be available for purchase independently via the C-Store or as part of the Delta Pack bundle of ships. And seriously, at this point, if you haven't already, the value for the Delta Pack keeps just getting higher and higher while it's still priced at $124.99. Um, not for nothing, that price is probably going to go up and the value will go down. So if you've got the spare change, now's a good time to seriously consider getting that Delta Pack. I digress. Now, each of these new ships come with a unique console, and all but the Dauntless's particle synthesizer consoles specify that... They can only be equipped on their respective ships. So, and I haven't been able to get a definitive answer as to whether or not the Dauntless's particle synthesizer will be able to be used on other ships. My guess is no, but we'll have to wait for confirmation from that. Now, I'll be honest, some of the consoles and, the, and even the mastery traits for these ships seem kind of meh to me. How about you, Jace? Well, without seeing the exact specs on them, I did think that the overwhelming force trait from the new Raptor was interesting because it adds an area of effect component to beam overload and torpedo high yield, which are normally both single target abilities, which sort of continues their stated goal of making those abilities gradually more desirable without nerfing fire at will or torpedo spread, which are clearly more widely used. Uh, the Guardian's console and trait both uh, actually appealed to my wife a lot as far as tanking and then absorbing hits to increase damage. The Guardian seems like a really cool um, successor maybe to the Fleet Ambassador as far as its stats and role. It's a jack-of-all-trades, very traditional cruiser. I dig it. I did like the Desperate Repairs Starship trait, the Mastery trait, and I thought, okay, that, that might be good on... on on an escort, but I don't know that I would. I don't know that the benefit for me is enough to want to try to mat to level that ship up to its mastery, its fifth tier mastery, just to get that starship trait. Mm -hmm. I will say, if you had the pack, it definitely would be worth leveling it up to get that trait. I don't. I don't know if I would just buy that ship in a vacuum only for the trait. I right, like the ship right. as a total package. But let's say I got the pack, and maybe I'm going to fly the Phantom. Well, the Phantom is. 
a lot like the Defiant, you know, it's kind of a glass cannon. It has some good defensive abilities from what we've seen of the Intel powers, but ultimately it has a pretty low hull strength and all that. So that trait is almost like a mini miracle worker that anybody could get, even if they're not an engineer, which, I mean, that's a great ability. So with the new introduction of these mastery traits and and the specialization skill tree that will uh, get into more detail with our Rivera coming up shortly after uh, Star Trek Online News. There, there's something that that I, I it, there's I'm overwhelmed. I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed with with all the amount of goodies and awesomeness coming to Delta Rising, and I think it's something that can very easily be remedied. So I consider myself to be that middle class player, right? The as, as I've used before, the one that still relies on guidance from more dedicated theory crafters and min-maxers, but, but still I have enough knowledge to educate newer players uh, or players not fully familiar with the game mechanics. Now, so these new abilities and, and buffs, they're fantastic. They're certainly adding goals for players that, that want to make their captains the best that they can be. But for someone like me, I do, I do get a little overwhelmed. Not only because they're adding so many new abilities, but because it's, it's really difficult for the novice player to measure the significance of the improvement. In its current state, the UI doesn't really allow for real-time, side-by-side review of modifications done by the addition or removal of a trade, a console, or other feature of the game. So without eidetic memory, you'd have to take a screenshot, then make the change, then compare it with a screenshot of your stats on your paper doll. And there's still the issue where space traits are not accurately displayed on unless you're in a space map, right? So if you're on the ground and you're trying to look at your space traits, those numbers are way off until you beam back up to your ship. So I really think that they should start thinking of a way of improving the UI uh, of your paper tune to be more modular. So that, for instance, when I add or remove a trait or a console or another modifier, I can... I can watch the numbers change in real time. Actually, you know what? This would be a really great idea for the gateway and integration with the gateway because I make the modification and then I look down at my tablet to my paper doll and watch the numbers change. But, you know, more... Let's say let's say the gateway is a pipe dream or, or too far down the road or requires too much development. I think that this something like this really needs to happen like yesterday especially with so many improvements coming with Delta Rising. This is one of those things that you don't know you want until you have it and realize, where has this been all my life? Even if they don't integrate it with the Gateway, I think it, it would be a massive quality of life improvement. If you can unpin the stats window from your paper doll UI, just to keep an eye on it on the side, you know, like Windows 7 snap window feature, so that when you make changes, you can see the numbers reflect in real time and modify in real time. So. Seriously, Captains, you got to back me up on this, because with, with all the new traits and the features coming with Delta Rising, wouldn't you like a more fluid interface to watch the changes in real time? That would be, that would be really cool. You know what would be really cool? It's if we could see each other's. Well, some players are really finicky about that. Some players want to be very private. Yeah. But, I mean, Cookie, when you're... You said before that this is your first MMO, right? And so when you are specking out your ship, are you just kind of blindly following the direction of, of what people are telling you to do or, or do you want to kind of do you want to learn and understand what's going on in the back end do you want to see the numbers change when you 
change the new, when you change your shields or when you slot a new trade in? Well, yeah, at first I was totally blindly listening to my fleet mates because I trusted them and I, you know, I knew that what they were saying was good information. But now I do kind of want to have a more active control of, of what I'm doing. Well, all right. So now, so now that you've, you know, you're, you're no longer just kind of blindly following what people are saying and you want to learn that back end. Do you, do you pay attention to the numbers and stats when you change or upgrade your item or ship? Do you bother to switch back and forth or try to memorize what the hole was and what it is now or what your accuracy was versus what it is now? Like, do you try to screenshot that and go through that rigmarole? I look at the main stats, like the DPS or kinetic damage or maximum shield capacity, for example. I skim the other things, but sometimes I don't fully know what it is even talking about so then if i don't understand it i skim down to the bottom because that's where the set bonus info or the percentages for things to happen or the info on stacking bonuses but that's not what you're asking is it no he's talking about the yeah yeah, that's partly at all what you're You're talking about comparing the current item to the the new item and you know i look at specific things i'll look at okay what's my total crit now what's my total um critical severity but yeah, I don't. I don't even deep dive into it, and I'm kind of into the build stuff. I just sort of know what items are best in slot for my type of build, usually through a combination of consensus and my own looking and trial and error. But as far as like deep level number crunching, you're right. It's a little opaque. It just it doesn't. The game doesn't make it easy in its current iteration, and with so many new traits coming, with so many new. Like the specialization and the buffs and and the mastery and the passives, these are all things that that are that it's important for captains to start paying attention to with the new, these new additions, right? What what does it really mean a two percent increase to accuracy? All right, where was I before? What is it now? Let me change it. Sure, you can do the math, but there's there's no why why would it be so difficult to unpin the the list, right? The trait list and your accuracy and what, you know, the skill points that you have, right? What's there now? Why not just unpin that so I can just click and drag it to the side. Then I go to my traits window and I slot in a different trait. I slot in, you know, the trait from the, from the counter command. And then I see how that changes my, 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 my points. I think that's a good idea. And again, it's one of those things that I think you, you don't, you don't know you want it until it's there. And then you realize it's there and it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because things like Combat Tracker, they're, they're really just measuring DPS output, right? That's all they're doing. Right. There's, there's nothing to tell me, okay, how how's my accuracy doing? Okay, so the, the, the Advanced Combat Tracker will tell you, you, you know, you missed 99 out of 100 shots. But what, what does that really mean? Let me see it in the game and in, in the... In the in the way that the game has it listed and identified, right? You know, it's what's better, the percentage increase or the points increase? You know, um, I think that that one little thing, that one little feature, would make something like this, like these upgrades and this new expansion, m- feel much less overwhelming to newer players or the casual players. If I can see my paper tune react in real time to the changes I make to it, right? And I can see the numbers. And then, of course, fix whatever bug is happening where when I'm on the ground, when I'm in Earth Space Dock, I don't see the accurate representation of what my my ship points and ship stats are. Yeah, you're right. That would be so helpful. Because 
sometimes if I don't see it, I forget it. Alright, Captains, with the advent of tech upgrades live on Holodeck, we're joined once again by Al Captain Gecko Rivera, lead designer for Star Trek Online, to continue our discussion about the tech upgrade process and then to go over the new information released this week on Captain Specializations. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko, authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. So, Al, when an item is taken to gold, can you talk to us a little bit about the modifier? Oh, yes. So, if you're upgrading an item, let's just say you start with a green item and then you upgrade it, there's a chance, based on how much research points you've put into the upgrade, that it becomes a blue. When it becomes a blue, it will get a random you know, modifier, just like any other item that might drop in the game. But once you have an item at ultraviolet, ultra rare, and you try to upgrade it, when it upgrades to a gold, you'll see in the tooltip about what you're going to get. And every item type in the game, for instance, every beam weapon, and, or every weapon, and every shield, and every armor, will always have the gold mod is always the same, and you'll always know what it is that you're going to get. And they're always double strength of normal. So for instance, space weapons will always get a double damage accuracy mod. So it's actually like getting two mods going to gold, so it's almost like skipping two qualities. And so it's always the same. Some items, like certain rep gear, will have special mods for them that were individually created for them, while most stuff will get the special gold weapon mod, the special gold armor mod, the special shield mod. But again, rep gears, some of them are specifically designed for them that you'll see what you're going to get. And during the upgrade process, you'll see that. While you are upgrading an item, from 1 through 12 or 1 through 14, as you're upgrading the item, every upgrade that you apply will add some research points to the item, and that changes your percentage. Percentages change based on the level, the mark of the item, and based on the quality of the item. So it takes more research points to improve a higher mark item or a higher quality item. And you'll see the percentage point, you're basically your chance, it might say, okay, 10% chance to get quality upgrade. It'll say right there on the upgrade UI what your chance is. Once you get to the end and you hit upgrade, and because you, you've got enough tech points, and you hit upgrade, it'll roll that chance, and it'll have, okay, 10% chance? No, you didn't get it. Whether you get it or not, that research gets reset to zero for the next upgrade, unless you're at the end. Once you're at mark 14, since you're not actually doing an upgrade to go to 15, if you fail to get the color proc to ultraviolet or gold or whatever, you get to keep the research points. And so it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So every time you try to upgrade to a higher quality, your chance gets better and better. But that only happens at the end. In between, for every mark upgrade, it just resets. Is that clear? Yeah, that makes sense. It'd make much more sense when you take a look at the UI in game. It's a really clean UI. It should be pretty straightforward. Which is what you were talking about earlier when, for like a Mark 1 to Mark 2, people will try to... Try to game the system. On the flip side of that, if they gamble and fail, any research points they put into it will be reset. Yes, but it's cheaper at lower Mark gear, right? If you take a Mark 1 item and apply a large upgrade to it, it'll probably take you all the way to like 4 or 5. You'll be able to get multiple upgrades out of it. So the small upgrade kits are for like the little mark items there. The big kits will take you pretty far. I mean, but at the same token, you know, that's great for standard equipment, but that's not going to work if you want to upgrade some fleet gear. If you want to upgrade some fifth gear, it's already marked 12 ultraviolet. Yeah, so you're not going to be able to try to game the system. You're, you're still going to want to try to get the best kits possible because that's going to get you your best return on dilithium. 
if you use a small pitch, they're cheaper dilithium-wise. It may only cost you a few hundred dilithium to use a small upgrade on an item, but you'll have to use more of them. And so you're much better off using the superior, the largest ones, the superior upgrades, which again only come from the crafters. So I suspect crafters and those players who have invested in crafting all the way up to and have gotten to, to crafting level 15 are going to become very popular in Star Trek Online. They're going to be highly in demand and they're going to be able to dominate the exchange. And that's always what crafting is about, being able to get at, make the best gear in the game. So hopefully everybody has an investing in crafting. You're at uh, level 10 in beams. Yeah, or I'm uh, 10 in beams, 10 in shields, 9 in engineering, and uh, 7 in something. I'm working on it. Pick one and get it to 15, right? Yeah, I'm going to stick with beams and then get everything else up as I can. The savvy crafter picked the less popular school, and it's level 15 in engines because they're the only ones who'd be able to complete your Omega set to all Mark 14s. Very true. Because you're going to need a shield, an engine, and deflector the savvy person who's got engineering school will be very much in demand. Everybody picks beams. I will consider that a tip. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume everyone goes for the guns all the time, right? I mean, I did. I did beams and shields. I can't remember the third one I'm doing. Ground, weapon, and cannons. And now I started beams. See, beams, I want the trait, so I have to go for beams. But doing engine second instead of third would probably not hurt me at all because I don't really need the shield trait right away. It's just something I thought was cool. Based on the, the dev blog about specialization trees, how can you expand for us on that a little bit? Uh, especially, I think, people will be interested in being able to attain ship traits, since otherwise the only way we've known about was through Tier 6 ships. The uh, specialization trees are basically an ability for us to basically allow players to continue to play the game forever and continue to earn, even when they've hit the level cap. So basically, they're talent trees, and I think within one tree, with a primary tree, there are 30 purchase points to make, 30 powers. Most of them are passives, call them reactives, you know, if you do this, then this kind of thing will happen. And there's a couple clicks in there. As you buy points in these trees, you unlock certain abilities. There's no branching within a specialization tree, and we expect you to be able to buy all of them at one given time, so there's actually no respects with specialization trees. It's something really specific that we did, because you can buy all of them. It's not like you get stuck in a path and then you made a bad choice and then you want to respect because you want something else. There's no respect because you can earn everything within a tree. But within a tree itself, as you put points in the primary tree, there are four blocks. There's like the first block and there's, you know, maybe ten purchase points in there. Once you buy five, you unlock the second block. And then once you buy five of that, you unlock the second block. It's similar to the way our current skill tree works, but it's very much more like a traditional talent tree. So there are specific things like you know, buy this and earn the ability to pull off this specific starship maneuver or purchase this and now you gain stealth when moving slow or something like that. As you gain points, you also unlock other abilities along the way. So there's a progress bar at the top. If you put a certain number of points within a particular tree, you'll unlock, for instance, the ability to use... Like, for instance, if you're buying points in the intelligence specialization tree... Once you put a certain number of points, you'll be able to use intelligence kit modules on the ground, but only ensign-level ones. And you get a little further, then you can use lieutenant-level ones. So you're able to get more and more access to ground intelligence powers based on how far you purchase in the intelligence tree. One tree is intelligence tree, the other one is pilot, and the other one is commando. You'll notice that the pilot tree and the commando trees are much smaller. They're what we call secondary trees. We're launching like uh, Delta Rising with 
one primary tree, intelligence, and two secondary trees, pilot and commando. You can only have one primary tree active at a time and one secondary tree active at a time. Okay? Doesn't matter which one is active, you can purchase points into any one of them at any time, but only one suite is active at a time. This allows us to continue to add more trees in the future, either primary or secondary, and keep adding to those. And so you can continue to purchase, but you can only have one suite active at a time. Not unlike the way we handle you know, reputations, you can only have certain ones at, uh, at a time. Within a specialization tree, at the middle of the tree and at the end of the tree is a ship trait. So you can get one at the middle of Intel, and then you get the better version of it at the top of the Intel, and then one at pilot and one in commando. So that's where you can get additional ship traits that will unlock from there. You get one talent point per level. So by the time you're level 60, you'll have 10 talent points. But like I said, the intel tree is 30 points. So you won't be done. At the end of level 60, you'll have to keep playing and keep earning skill to keep adding another point to buy another point. So there's a lot to unlock within a specialization tree. And as you notice, we have intelligence specialization tree for captains and intelligence specialization bridge officers. So there's a parallel and there's sharing. So the, the kit gems you'll unlock for intelligence trees are the same ground powers that the intelligence bridge officer has. So you'll be able to access those bridge officer powers for yourself if you purchase intelligence specialization tree. We plan in the future to add more primary and secondary trees that will also be related to the bridge officer. So maybe we'll have a pilot bridge officer in the near future, for instance, pilot specialization for the bridge officers. So that's a lot. So I encourage everyone to read the blogs and you get a lot more detail and then some pictures of what they look like. But there'll be a little button next to your skill tree and you'll see your specialization. And, and like I said, once you get to level 50, you'll stop earning skill points and instead start earning specialization points and buy in the specialization tree and then continue to earn specialization points all the way through, you know, even past the end game. Since we're launching with 60 total points that you can buy in specialization tree, if you happen to earn 60 before we add the next specialization tree, Every time, instead of earning an additional point that you've just put on account or gift certificate for later, you will instead earn dilithium until we raise the cap on specializations again. I forgot how much dilithium it is, but it's a pretty sizable chunk. Very interesting. The, the part about having active and passive trees will answer the most burning concerns of folks who didn't know how an infinite alternate advancement system like this mm-hmm. would stay balanced when you've stated that goal with changing reputations. In retrospect, it seems kind of obvious. Yeah, certainly. You want to be an intelligence pilot or intelligence commando or maybe an intelligence communications officer or a uh, maybe we'll have like, you know, a command tree and pilots or, you know, a workhorse specialist or anomaly specialist. And you pick the two that you want to group together. Right. So once we have multiple primary trees uh, available, you could take two primary trees if you like, but one would be primary and one would be secondary. And if you choose a primary tree as a secondary, you only get the bottom half active at any given time. So, but that won't go at launch because there's only one primary tree at launch. When we first learned about the intelligence bridge officers, some folks wondered if we would ever get additional captain classes later on down the road in the game. And it seems like with this mechanic, there wouldn't really be a call for that. We've still talked about making uh, additional captain classes. It's For the IP, it's really hard to kind of come up with one that really makes a lot of sense. So, at least within the IP, I mean, it's not like we can release a ranger or a druid or something, but so the specializations is, I think, probably the better way for us to go. It's effectively starting off as a fighter and deciding that, you know, I want to be a barbarian or a paladin or a ranger, and you add that specialization to yourself. And that's effectively what's happening here. And so you pick what you want to specialize in at the end game, which is where most of the players are anyway. You know, we might introduce a new class, but 
it would be so disconnected from the IP or so weird. I, I can't even imagine what it would be that would really be that big of a draw for players. If anybody has any suggestions, I'm willing to hear it. One of them has come up with be like a merchant or a Harry Mud character, but that would just seem like such different gameplay. Number one, it would be more than a different class. It would be an entire different skew of gameplay, and I can't see how Harry Mud would be in command of the Odyssey, so I'm not sure how that would happen. And captains, if you want to share those ideas, you can share with us on Priority One Podcast at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash game ideas. Perfect. I like the specialization trees. It adds another sense of purpose for players. Yes, and I think people are going to really like it because it feels so much more traditional as far as how you're purchasing powers and what you're getting out of it. And I've always talked about how we want to redo the skill tree and we would have loved to have redone the skill tree with specialization trees, so that way it's just like one big tree and then branches into multiple trees. But that'll come in a future update, and so we'll redo our current skill tree system to be a little bit more traditional tree system where you buy this and you get this power, and you buy this and you get this power, as opposed to buying points in something that may affect another power. So I think that'd be far more accessible for most people. So I look forward to getting that updated in the near update. That's going to be a pretty massive overhaul to make that happen because it touches basically every single ability in the game so it'll probably take a couple months for one designer to do just to implement but it is scheduled message coming in sir hailing frequencies open see we are getting to know each other all right captains we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you our listeners just a reminder, last week's community question was, Captains, what are you looking forward to in the new Delta Rising reputation system? Kick it off here with Plummy G 33 g who wrote on the Star Trek online forum post for this episode, Hey all, I love your show. Keep them coming. We will, Plummy G 33 g we will. That's right, we will. I'm looking forward for new unique working projects within Rep System, which allows you to build your own Starship or shuttle by combining R&D and the Rep System with technology from the Delta Quadrant. But that is all an elusive dream. But in reality, what I'm looking forward to the most is the new Intel Bridge Officer from Delta Expansion. I am crossing my fingers for a Kobali female. Ooh. Oh yeah, brother. Aren't we Gonna all? Gonna raise the dead around here. Raise the roof and raise the dead. Sunsial commented on the Star Trek online forum post for this episode, After listening to the interview with Gordon Gonzola and Tier 5 upgrade for the level cap ships in Star Trek Online, a friend of mine had two responses to the Tier 5 upgrade system in general. It's pretty clear that a lot of people would be willing to pay money for a full Tier 6 upgrade for any ship. To this end, the Zen upgrade could be made a little more expensive if the devs took the time to craft all the current non-free Tier 5 ships into a Tier 6 variant, with Tier 5 upgrade being made a Dilithium expenditure free option for those that don't have the money to pay into the cost of a full Tier 6 upgrade. I get what they're saying. To me, it's semantics because you can convert Dilithium to Zen. And... The devices to upgrade the Tier 5U will be tradable, so you can people will be selling them for energy credits. Unfortunately, there was I, I don't think it was ever on the table that they were going to create two new variants of every single ship, one Tier 5U and one Tier 6. It sounds like it was already a lot of work to create the T5U versions to keep people able to fly their older ships. 
So, remind me again, because with all these new blogs coming out about the queued events and right. how important it is to have elite gear and to be ready for these missions, would a player not only have to have elite gear, but do they need to have a tier 6 ship to do these elite missions? For the elite missions, I believe the intention is that tier 6 ships will be ideal, but that tier 5U ships, especially some of the ships that in their current incarnations pre-Delta Rising are among some of the best ships in their class in the game, will be more than adequate. Yo, I just fell in love with my Avenger. I really don't want to mm -hmm. have to give that up. Well, you see, that's the thing. I don't see, based on the stats, any of the Tier 6 Federation ships quite yet displacing the Avengers niche, right. right? There's no... None of these new Tier 6 Federation ships have five forward-facing weapons or some of the other features of the Avenger. They don't have the same type of seating. They are more similar to other different ships. None of them really take a cue from the Avenger, which makes sense because the Avenger is a pretty recent ship design, right? Right. So I don't think you'll have any problem with your Avenger. You'll just really want to make sure that you know what you're doing in the missions and you upgrade your gear. So Green Jagroon wrote to us via ParadoonPodcast.com. I really enjoyed your interview with Gorn Gonzola. I'm definitely looking forward to all the new ships, but I have to agree that I think there are way too many endgame ship tiers. It's just an extra complication. Just make the Tier 5U ships Tier 6. Then, they don't need the bell and whistle specialization. Those can remain an exclusive for the new ships, but it eliminates two of the superfluous ship tiers. Theo Kent writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, I'm having difficulty trying to understand what is the purpose of upgrading items to Mark 14 if everything can be done easily with Mark 12. Is this for PvP? Is there a specific goal we should aim for in acquiring these gold gear? Collecting stuff for the sake of collecting is not my cup of tea, if you know what I mean. I do. Earl Grey hot. It has to be useful for my gameplay. I would also prefer not to go through this whole expensive adventure to upgrade my stuff for nothing. I think that um, either it hasn't been clear or you have misunderstood. All of the story content and normal mode PVEQs will be completable without upgrading your gear. Just like in the current content, if you're doing story mode and you're a new 50 or you want to do a normal STF and you've done it before and you're just on an alt that doesn't have gear yet, you don't have any problem using even maybe a green Mark 11. But for advanced and especially elite, you are going to want the upgraded gear. Make no mistake. Now, the difference between the very rare or ultra, ultra rare? rare? Ultra, ultra rare and gold? I'm not real sure if I'm even going to attempt the gold. I might just stick with ultra rare. So I, That's what I've been hearing, preliminary reports from Tribble being, is that the, the increase from ultra rare to gold may not even be worth it. Because it takes so long and so much to lithium. I don't know. I look at it as a long-term goal. I'll probably upgrade to Mark 14 as quickly as the system allows me but I'll sort of pick at gold for my key items, right? Maybe my shield, then maybe my tactical consoles. Whatever seems like it's going to give me the biggest boost, I'll do it just in descending order. This is not a system for people with OCD. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't do it all at once. If you did, you'd immediately declare content drought a week after Delta Rising. Sure. Oh, I power leveled. Oh, I did all the missions. Oh, I have all gold mark 14. Why didn't they give us any content? Don't Drunk I'm Shoot writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode... 
Gorn Gonzola, come talk to us PvPers. We would love to help test things in their most extreme circumstances, only found in PvP. So, Ward Callis commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, One of my largest concerns about the upcoming expansion is equality between the factions. Understandably, Klingons and Romulan factions are newer, and so not as fleshed out as the Federation. But now, of all times, is the time to move forward with a balance between the factions. Now let's look into a few ideas that were submitted through our new Game Ideas form on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash Game Ideas. This week we will hear from at Spartan1994 and at Mostly Ponies. First off, what's your favorite thing about Star Trek Online and why? At SpartanD1994 wrote, My favorite thing about Star Trek Online is the story. I really love what Cryptic has done to continue the story and lore of Star Trek. I'm always looking forward to new story content and missions. Mostly Ponies writes, In general, the character and ship customization levels, because you can really make your captain, ship, and crew your own. But specifically, my favorite feature is the Cation race. Everyone likes cats. I agree. I was so excited to get a Cation. That's my secondary character, and I don't think I'm going to get any more characters after that. But yeah, Cations are awesome. I love, love it. Next up, what don't you like about Star Trek Online and why? Well, Spartan writes, one, being a totally free-to-play player. I don't think Star Trek Online has a good amount of ship content available to buy through in-game currencies such as LTM and energy credits. I have always seen this as unfair, and the only free ships I have received have been the ones unlocked through rank progression and story content. Now, this is interesting because you can, in theory buy ships through Dilithium. You just need to exchange it for sea store points. Yeah, I actually know somebody who bought the um, Romulus Legacy Pack entirely with Dilithium once it went into the sea store. That's how I got my Cation character. Oh, yeah. Mostly ponies rights. There's nothing I don't like about it. I'd just like to see more features in the future. And finally, how would you improve what you least like about Stowe? Spartan wrote, The last few ships content that have been released have only been available to buy with Zen, and having enough dilithium to exchange for Zen takes way too much time to the 8,000 daily limit. I would suggest offering Zen content, such as ships, to be able to be purchased with dilithium, taking into consideration the daily limit. That's a pretty good point. I mean, the, the, that, I think it's time that they up that 8,000 daily limit. Yeah, I don't know if it will happen, but it is... I mean, there are more and more things that we are going to want to spend the lithium on. Yeah, item and upgrades. And it, it starts to be a, a bit of a crush. Yeah, I mean, let's just... Item upgrades alone. Good point, Cookie. I mean, item upgrades alone are going to require maybe not an astronomical amount of dilithium, but certainly dilithium. And 8,000 a day seems seems awfully low nowadays. Now, the one thing I will say is, if you specifically if you're converting dilithium into zen... You can do this with alts that you don't necessarily put a lot of work into. You know, you can have alts that do dilithium farming if you have multiple character slots. Maybe make a KDF to do marauding. All those characters can refine their dilithium, and they can all buy Zen with it, and the Zen goes all into the same pool. That's not per character. Alternatively, you can accumulate energy credits. Any of the lockbox and lobby ships are generally available on the exchange, though the prices fluctuate and tend to be pretty high. But that is another way you can get ships without paying real money. Mostly Ponies writes, 
Again, there's nothing I dislike about the game, but I do see many areas that have potential. So here are my ideas. And we're going to summarize some of these ideas. So he says a working holodeck. That would be nice. A game room. Yes. The option. Oh my gosh, poker, right? How many? Yeah. How much did they play poker in That's TNG? That's totally canon. We want poker. Why has it not? Why has it been four years and poker <laughs> still hasn't made it into the game? And he also goes on to say the option to travel in your ship while inside your ship, as in watch your ship travel on the main viewer. That would be nice, actually, being able to you know walk around your bridge as you're traveling. You know, you plot a course, or you go to your bridge, and you walk up to the console. And you plot a course for blah, 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 and let it do its thing, you know? And as you're traveling to point B, you can go to engineering and launch a doff. <laughs> you don't actually go to engineering to do that, right? You know, you can do it from your ready room. <laughs> no, it's his immersion. <laughs> immersion. It's his immersion. Okay. I don't even have an engineering. I have like a 10 by 10 room on my gym. Listen, every night before I log out, <laughs> I go to my ship interior and then I walk to my captain's quarters and I lay in bed and go to sleep and then I log out. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't really do that. I don't do that. <laughs> Captains, if you haven't already filled out our game ideas form on our website, check it out at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash game ideas and let us know your thoughts. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, Captains, that wraps up episode 192 of Priority One Podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers and RSS feed catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com or by visiting priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show in our comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One Podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast because without it, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon fleet division. Warriors of Priority One. Join today! Kapla! A very special thanks to this week's guest, Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, and Terrace Cassidy, head geek at Geek Nation Tours. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineers, Skiffy and Ben Churchill, and QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, and to our bloggers and their managing editor, L. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. 
But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. ship for a ludicrous cue so nobody got that really scared nobody all right well anyway the plaid's uh, got the the cue's gone plaid the cutest yeah the cues will go into plaid that's what's gonna end up that's gonna be the fourth difficulty in the next expansion <laughs> normal advanced elite and plaid <laughs> <laughs> i want to see a plaid board cube <laughs> i can make you one this is Elijah. Feedback. Sync one. This is Cookie. Feedback. Sync two. This is Jace. Feedback. Swim three. <laughs> Good thing we're not live. <laughs> because they didn't go with now, us. Now you're right. starting. I am starting. <laughs> of all times is the time to talk about time. We can't talk. Don't try to talk to me about time. Oh, God. Isn't that isn't that Deanna? I don't know. Is it? Yeah, it's from from First Contact. Don't now's oh, not yeah, the when, time to talk to me when, about time. When she's drunk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a primitive culture. You sound pretty for a girl. Well, I used to go to engineering. I didn't know. I used to go to the sick bay engineering. Where else? I forget. And then I realized you can just go to your ready room and do it all from there. See, nobody talks about these things. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about it now. To go to the bathroom. There is no waste in the 25th century. I know. They totally don't really have bathrooms in space. They're on the they're on the schematics of the ships, but they've never. But really they never showed them, show, showed them no. in Star Trek. It's only either. it's only when they're only used when you are visiting an alien planet and actually have to eat food that has been made. But if you are putting in a request for food from the replicator, the replicator gives you the the right amount of food. Where your body doesn't produce waste. That's not true. It's you just it's made absolutely that up. true. Look it up. That's I will. I don't even need to look that up. <laughs> no, because obviously the truth is they use point to point transporters <laughs> to take the waste yeah, directly that out of your be body. More realistic. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. <laughs> just look at the episode of the Next Generation where Riker makes scrambled God. eggs for. Um, for Worf and for Geordi, Data, and uh, Dr. Pulaski. 
they're all really hesitant. Mm-hmm. Not because they're concerned necessarily about his cooking, what? but because they know that if they eat this, they're going to have to use the bathroom. And it's a dirty experience. So... <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> this is the best. There's definitely some gold in here for the blooper reel, but you are you are as full of you know what as you're saying that they are not. It doesn't. They, they weren't afraid of his cooking. They were afraid of having to go to the bathroom later and use the three seashells. <laughs> Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses to the following community question in our comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. The question is, what is your opinion about waste management in the 24th and now 25th centuries as depicted on Star Trek? Do the replicators obviate the need to use the head, as it would be called in naval parlance? Or do they still require a good movement on a regular basis? (laughs) Oh, God, I can't can't do that. You can leave off the last part. (laughs) 